0: Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Sullis, and with me is my very, very talented friend, who is my very own little elf on the shelf. She's the (laughs) mixtress
1: DC Gina. (laughs) (laughs) I do love the elf on the shelf. That is very funny. Always watching, always misbehaving. I like it. Yeah, yeah. You're very,
0: you're very like holiday, joyful, a little naughty, a little mysterious. See? see. Kind of creepy, you know, all the things. <laughs> all right. Never been creepy for me, but. Um, it's early in the day. Yeah, give it time. Give it time. You never know. <laughs> so. Um, before we get started, I want our listeners to know this episode is about the origins of Christmas, myths and traditions. So if you are not ready for the truth to be told about the, the behind Santa, uh, if you're not ready to hear it or if you're around somebody you're not ready to have them hear it. Um, we uh, suggest that you go ahead and put those earbuds in because uh We're going to talk about some real stuff today. So anyway, with that said, tis the season, right, Gina? It is. It is. From drinking eggnog to giving gifts. Christmas is just tons and tons of tradition, right? But do you know where they all come from? No. (laughs) Well. 100%. I think you might. I know where some come from, but no. (laughs) Not all. No. All right. But I assume you know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall, do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? I do. It's Rudolph. Of course it is. It's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer.
1: (laughs) Same thing, then you win. Yay. (laughs) Did he really have a red shiny nose? That's what I want to know.
0: Well, he did because, well... Did you know that Rudolph was created in 1939 by somebody who resembled a person like me, of course, is a copywriter in Chicago, who um, was asked by the retail, retail company, Montgomery Ward, um, to create a new character for its annual Christmas coloring book? Um and it was so well-received that um, it actually was printed hardback the next year, and it became a bestseller, um, which also led Gene Autry to um, create a song based on good old Rudolph, and it went right to number one. Imagine that. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was a number one hit. Um, and Gene was right, because it, it, all, it all did go down in history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, like, I tied it right back in. <laughs> I want to give you that earworm
1: all day long where you're just humming Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer all day long. It's a gift. No, it's there. It's totally there. But then I just, like, had this, like, um, I didn't know any of that about Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, and there's always that part of your, like, childhood just got, like, hurt a little bit where you're like, oh. I never saw the red light. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know,
0: uh, you know, your worms, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It's, it puts us in the holiday spirit, right? Yes. So. Now that we've uncovered the origins of Rudolph, or at least as far as I know it to be, um, let's welcome today's designated drinker, shall we? He yes. is the author of The Myths That Stole Christmas and a professor of philosophy at King's College. Please welcome Dr. David Kyle Johnson. Welcome to the show, Kyle.
2: Thank you very much for having me on, Louise and Gina.
0: Absolutely. So, um, tis the season, like I said, right? Um, mm-hmm. And as the author of Myths That Stole Christmas, were you surprised about my, that little tidbit? Am I even close to being accurate about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and his uh, birthing out of advertising?
2: Yeah, no, uh, I was not <laughs> surprised uh, for multiple reasons. But uh, you are, because one, you are accurate. Um, uh, two, because most of the Christmas traditions that we have today, which many of which yep. we think are ancient, um, are actually modern and they're they came out of consumerism. They were invented as ways to make money and sell things and that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's not at all uh, surprising at all. Um, and uh, <laughs> in fact, um, what's kind of interesting about it is um, when Gene Autry, right, does the yes. song – um, one of the first lines in it is like are you know but you know you, you know all the other reindeer yep. but do you recall the most famous reindeer of all right and this really gives the impression that like oh yeah the one that's like everybody knows and it's been around and like you know it's, it right when this was invented like last year <laughs> right um, and so it's it's something i call in the book a br- a brand new old fashioned tradition that, well, a lot of times when these traditions are invented, they are invented with the veneer of being ancient and old-fashioned, like kind of baked into their invention, mm-hmm. when literally they were just invented. But part of the this brand new tradition that's only a year old or whatever, part of the tradition is like the lie embedded into them. Actually, they're hundreds of years old, but they're not actually hundreds of years old. They, they were just invented, right? Uh, and so a number of these things catch on because they come with, The veneer of being old-fashioned, when in fact we just made him up.
0: It's the beauty of branding, propaganda, advertising. It was all content creation even back then.
2: (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It
0: was. (laughs) So, but he still is my favorite reindeer. Uh, Did you know? Did you know his girlfriend's name was Clarice? (laughs) Uh, Yes. Is that
2: that from the 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 claymation? Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. I still record it every year. (laughs) And I don't even have children, but, you know.
2: Yeah, and you know, it's something in, in the vein of the old-fashioned, tra- the, the brand new old-fashioned tradition, right? When we see that claymation, we think, oh, this is this is the movie version of the story that was already going around, right? It was already known that he had a girlfriend named Clarice. Nope, that was invented. The whole story, everything was invented <laughs> for that. It was created there. Um, it's something very similar about uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas, which was originally called "The um, A Visit from St. Nick. People think that uh, Clement Clark Moore is uh, describing a tradition that already was, you know, was already around, that people already did. Mm-mm. He's inventing that in that story, <laughs> in that poem. That is when the reindeer get their name. That is when uh the kind of the, the chimney visiting and all that kind of stuff, almost every element of that is new. And he's inventing it, giving it the veneer that it's been done for ages and ages and ages. And it's because of that veneer that people are like, oh, well, we have to participate in this age-old tradition as well. And that's why imitating essentially, Mm -hmm. uh, the poem, kind of caught on like a fad, right? Um, And uh, after it was published and it became the most republished, uh, uh, um, uh, no, I'm thinking of of a different, but it was um, the, the... the, sorry, yes, Virginia, that was the um, the most republished op-ed, but uh, the, it may, it may be the most republished poem. Wow! Um, uh, but, but one of the most you know one of the most popular poems was that was the you know the the visit from Saint Nicholas.
0: So it basically went viral.
2: <laughs> yeah, it basically went viral. In fact, as I was as I was rereading my book, I hate to I hate to say this uh, because I despise this platform, but um, it's kind of like TikTok. Um, In a certain kind of way, right? So think about what TikTok does. So many people are just doing lip syncing and everybody's lip syncing to the exact same thing. Yeah. But everybody does it just a little bit different. Here's my version of this trend or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, That's kind of what everybody was doing with the St. Nicholas poem, right? Everyone recreates the poem just in a slightly different way in their own house. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. so it become it becomes a trend that everybody has to participate in and everybody does their slightly little individual version of it. They add their own little, you know, uh, you know, pieces or or, or little additions to it or whatever, but everyone's basically lip syncing to the same audio track.
1: <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I am I'm like literally sitting here and just thinking, what the I have what is Christmas? <laughs> I'm going back to I'm going back to Good. I'm just gonna go back to like um I'm just thinking about my old-fashioned Christmas room. I mean, what's going on now? All my things like don't make. I'm just upset. Yeah,
2: well, it kind of... Never letting my kids
1: listen to this podcast. <laughs> it kind of is upsetting. It, it,
2: it is upsetting in a lot of different ways, right? Uh, like I'm 45 you- years old and I'm being crushed right now. And everyone's <laughs> listening to my hopes. Own- all my hopes and dreams is literally go down to like a
1: funnel in the sink.
2: Yeah, that, the, the poem was published in like 1820s i can't remember the exact date but it's like it's early 1800 that's as old as that is wow so it's only about 200 you know 200 years old when we think that oh no santa claus has been visiting children for 2000 years now about 200 years old that's it wait
1: that's globally that's
2: globally in the story uh santa yeah, claus like, only shows up 200 years ago on the scene santa claus as uh like as termed as santa claus yeah it's only about 200 years old there is saint nicholas and that goes back a little bit further. Although there's a whole other story there, the, like myth number six and myth number five in the book is that Santa Claus is Saint Nicholas. That's not actually true. Um, so we can talk about more about that. So if You want to talk about that? I had
0: a different plan, but you know what? Let's go. Let's go with it. Let's no, sorry, talk about go ahead. No, let's no, no, no. Let's go with it. Let's go with it. This we were getting there. Tell me. Tell us about that. Tell us about because so uh, listeners. So everyone understands that I talk to um, most of our guests ahead of time, so we can understand, mm-hmm. get to know each other a little bit. And I'm going to tell you, Kyle blew my mind. And I was so surprised that I knew more than I thought I knew, um, which is always a scary space. Uh, (laughs) So let's talk about this St. Nick uh, Santa Claus misconception.
2: Okay. All right. So let me answer Gina's question and we'll kind of back into it. All right. So the the Santa Claus that you know and love, the red and white fur wearing, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, bearded um, often with a Coca Cola bottle in his hand, right? Like that—that that Christmas visitor, that—that that is only about a hundred years old, because his image, as we see him as the fur wearing red and white, that was solidified by Coca Cola. Mm. They replaced his stump of a pipe with a Coke bottle. They put him up on all the ads in like the '30s, mm. right? Um, I'm kind of going off my memory here, but it's like 20, 1920s, 1930s, um, and that that campaign, that Coca Cola campaign with Santa Claus as their mascot solidifies Santa Claus's look into what we know of today. Right? And he basically has looked the same roughly over the last 100 years, right? Before that, he could be he could be in red and white, he could be in blue and white, he could be in all different kinds of colors, he could appear differently. Um the kind of rotund bearded version was uh 1881. Thomas Nass does this very famous bearded version uh in 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 a uh, b- 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 Harper's weekly, I believe, um, yeah. in, in like 1881. And that's where you get the full grown rotund, right. It's not in color. I don't think initially. So it's just a pencil drawing, but that's where you get the full kind of full color rotund, uh, adult sized regular sized, a uh, Santa Claus. So that's 1881. That's what 150, 130 years, whatever that turned out to be. Right. Uh, but I guess 150 years yeah. old. Um, so adult full size Santa Claus is only about 150 years old. Um, in the early 1800s with the St. Nicholas, the visit from St. Nicholas poem, um, most people m- miss this. He is a jolly old, anybody know?
0: Fellow. He's a fellow elf.
2: He is an elf.
0: Yes, he is a jolly Which elf. literally
2: means he's tiny. He has huh. a, a tiny sleigh with eight tiny reindeer. He is not a full-grown person. Huh, Pushing himself into the chimney and he is a tiny little person, but the tiny little like, um, and that, and that's how he fits down the chimney because he's tiny. He doesn't have to like do any kind of magic squeezing or whatever. He's a tiny little person. Um, so he is, he is an elf uh, um, in in the original. So he's actually small again. So he only becomes, you know, big and, 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 uh, and, and large, uh, in 1881. Um, and why uh, Clement Clark Moore made him tiny is, is debatable. Um, I can go to the book for a little bit more on that, but what's interesting to think about. So you can build the case. You can start to realize that the St. Nicholas of the Twas the Night Before Christmas, a visit from St. Nicholas, um, is not actually based on St. Nicholas, the you know the Catholic saint from the 300s, 400s, um, by realizing that uh, the supposed historical St. Nicholas, and I'll give you a whole argument if you want about, and I talk about this in the book about why I don't think St. Nicholas actually existed, but <sighs> set that aside. If there was such a St. Nicholas, he did not wear fur. He did not live at the North Pole. He was not pulled around by any kind of animal, much less reindeer. Um, He did not (laughs) squeeze through chimneys. He was not dirty and sooty. He certainly was not an elf. He did not bring gifts on Christmas. Um, He had a veneer of uh, uh, generosity about him because of one particular story, but that story is not actually historical anyway. But like at best, what the Santa Claus of the Poem and St. Nick have in common is their name and maybe some light gift giving, that's it. Hmm. Everything else is different. Nothing else is saintly about him. As uh, Phyllis Kiefer, who wrote The, the Last of the Wild Men, which talks a little more about where this comes from. If St. Nicholas of the poem was based on St. On Nicholas, the historical saint, then his reindeer should have been named Faith, Hope, and Charity. Not... Donder and Blitzen, thunder and Lightning, right? Like all of these like <laughs> elemental powers, right? Like it, it, it doesn't make any sense to think that he's based on St. Nicholas, right? So you've got the name, right? Uh, but that's thats pretty much all he has in common. So asking that question, where did all these other things come from? Where did all these other attributes come from? Starts to lead you down the path of figuring out where, you know, St. Nicholas of the, of the poem comes from. Where does he get all these other attributes, right? Well, uh, the Fur-wearing uh, likely comes from Bellsnickel or Peltsnickel, um, which is this Pennsylvania German tradition of a... uh, sooty, and also the soot on him, the kind of dirtiness of him uh, probably comes from this. Peltznickel is this Pennsylvania German tradition of uh, a man who would literally visit your house in furs, pelts, furs, um, wearing a bunch of bells and that kind of stuff, uh, with switches and a bag of candy or, you know, kind of goodies or whatever. And he would visit your house and he was scary as hell and um, (laughs) would kind of quiz the children about whether they've been bad or good or whatever. Um, And if they've been bad, he'll switch them with switches and if they've been good, he might throw some candy on the floor. Um, and as they're going for the candy, he might switch them while they're trying to go for the candy. Um, and so the the, felts, the, the the pelts, the furriness, and, and that might come from uh, from from bells, nickel. Uh, but then, where does his, where does he come from, right? So what you see here to answer that question, you realize that in if you go back a little bit further in history, in Europe, you did have a Christmas, uh, a, a holiday visitor of Saint Nicholas right, the Catholic saint. And he would visit on uh, the uh, the anniversary of his death, which is uh, December 6th, I believe. I um, always get 6th or 7th, I always get them because I believe it's December 6th. Um, and he would visit and he would be in saintly robes and all that kind of stuff. And he would do something similar where, you know, he would visit and you know, quiz you on Bible verses, see if you've been good or whatever. And this was a physical visitation. This was not something that we, per- like we do today, we pretend that Santa Claus visits the house and we plant some evidence and, and, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, presence and that kind of stuff Mm-mm. in Europe. And still this happens today in Europe uh, uh, as well, although usually it's more public appearances. But, you know, 1700s and, you know, before this for a few hundred years, You got a guy dressed up as St. Nicholas coming to your damn house, right? And he's doing the quizzing, and he's asking the kids the questions and that kind of stuff. But he was never alone, okay? Because unlike Santa Claus, who really is only kind of jolly and wonderful, and the only kind of bad stuff that you might get is maybe he leaves you a a lump of coal instead of giving you a gift or something like that. Not St. Nicholas, when St. Nicholas visits your house, and again, this is physically happening in person, okay? When, quote-unquote, St. Nicholas visits your house, the guy dressed up as St. Nicholas visits your house, he's not alone. He often has something called the Chris Krendel, which is this little girl with like, uh, like uh, candles in her hair. Uh, but more worrisome is he's got Krampus, or some kind of helper with him, Krampus. literally in Literally in change, right? And you've probably heard of Krampus before. He's become popular in the last 10 years.
0: They made a horror movie about him.
2: (laughs) Multiple horror movies. Multiple horror movies actually about Krampus. Yes. which is a wonderful, the, the costumes in that. There's no CGI in that. They actually have somebody dressed up as Krampus, like and it is fantastic. <laughs> but he doesn't look like that in person, usually. I mean, it, it's kind of based on Krampus, but the Krampus of the movie is a little bit more elaborate. Uh, what you would have is somebody in furs, right? Uh, dressed in furs. Uh, they would have horns. Um, if I don't know how they'd pull this off costume-wise back then, but the Krampus is traditionally supposed to have one cloven hoof. Um, but he's, he's dressed in goat furs and horns and he's in chains. And so, you know, St. Nicholas shows up with your house with Krampus in tow. And, you know, if you've been good, Hey, maybe you get an apple. Maybe you get a, you know, you know, uh, you know, some kind of treat or whatever. They wouldn't really have candy. They didn't have Hershey bars back then. Right. But if you've been bad, whoops, St. Nicholas might drop the chains. And release Krampus upon you, and if he does that, right, he could he could haul you off to hell. He could add you to his chains, pull you away, stuff in it, stuff you in his sack or whatever, and, and haul you off, right? And so, what Bellsnickel essentially is, Bellsnickel, the German, the the Pennsylvania Germans um, that were coming over, which by the way are some around here. I live in Pennsylvania, are called Pennsylvania Dutch, but they're not actually Dutch. They're German. The reason they're called Pennsylvania Dutch is because Americans are dumb. <laughs> when the Pennsylvania Germans were asked. Where are you from? They would reply, Deutschland, which is German for Germany, yes, yes. and the idiot idiot Americans would go, "Oh, you're Dutch." Deutschland, Dutch, you must be Dutch. And so they're called Pennsylvania Dutch. They're not Dutch, they're German. Um, just, like, just like American Indians aren't from India. Um, <laughs> and so it's the same kind of Americans being being dumb, right? So, uh, but what the Pennsylvania Dutch, uh, I just did it, the Pennsylvania German tradition of Belsnickel is, is basically St. Nicholas and Krampus kind of meshed together into one character so that he's Nicholas. But he's furry. He's got the the furs of of uh, of of Krampus, sometimes he even has the horn. There's actually a a, um, a Bell's Nickel tradition that goes on in Cutstown near where I live. and that one has horns. they're antlers, but he has he wears horns every year, um, or at least the last few years he has. Um, and so it is really an amalgamation of those two characters, okay? So that is partly where the Santa Claus tradition comes from. But then we also realize that, like, St. Nicholas rode a horse, right? Uh, whenever he made his visits, but that's not reindeer, and they didn't have a name like that. Um, so, where does that come from? Well, we realized then that other, like, pagan gods, like Odin, were pulled around the skies by, um, uh, uh, what's the name? Um, Nasher and Cracker is the is the name of his goats. Oh, and it nice. turns out that "Nasher and Cracker" is just German for like "Donner and Blitzen." It's thunder. And I was lightning. like,
0: I was gonna say, well, it sounds like Donner's, "Donner and Blitzen."
2: <laughs> yeah, it's Donner and Blitzen, which is just it's thunder and lightning in German. Is Donner and Blitzen, um, and so that that's partly pulled from there. Um, the Christmas visiting Odin. There's another god called Julebuck. Another one, Birchta, who would who would uh, visit with Odin. They were actually the December visitors. They would come around in December, and you know bless or curse and that kind of stuff. You would even like leave oats out for Birch's horse so that yeah. she would be, you know, see favorable op- upon you. And that's obviously a precursor to milk and cookies and that kind of stuff. Right. And
0: carrots for and the so, reindeer. Yeah. you would reindeer. I always <laughs> leave carrots for the reindeer.
2: Exactly. So these all, <laughs> these all things have have precursors in, in pagan gods. Um, and so that's where some of this stuff from Santa Claus is coming from. But then we start wondering, okay, you know, where, where do those traditions come from and how does this relate to St. Nicholas? Okay. So, um, I, I, I take a lot of this from Phyllis Kiefer's book called The Last of the Wild Men. Um, and what she she lays out this argument where, um, I'll, I'll start from the beginning. There is this ancient, ancient tradition of uh, a way to bring the spring back. Think about, and Christmas has so much to do with this. Think about what it was like to live 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years ago when winter would set in. You thought the earth was flat. You did not understand what caused the seasons. It was a time of, you did not have heat, right? You had fire. That was the best you could do, right? You did not have refrigeration. You did not have anything like that. Winter was scary. A lot sure. of people didn't survive it. You would not have enough food. It was very cold. It was death. And like all the trees around you were dying and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was very, and, and you actually didn't know for sure that it wouldn't last forever. Right, everything's dying. Yeah, it's always come back in the past, but maybe it won't this time because we don't understand why it revives. Every sure, year.
0: sure, right? sure. Yeah,
2: and so they invented traditions essentially to help bring the spring back. Right, and since they worked last year because we did them, and then spring returned. Right, it's a it's it's a confirmation fallacy. Right, uh, post hoc ergo procto hoc. You know, after this, therefore, because of this.
0: Sure, it's interesting that you you say that because if you think about like the. The emotional pull, the same reason we do it still, right? It's how we build in traditions or uh, all of the things that we do, whether it's just in our personal space, not just necessarily around Christmas. We want to make sure that we're feeling positive. Like you have the hope for tomorrow, the hope for spring. Um, mm-hmm. it was, it's really interesting that as you build these traditions, even, like you said, in the darkest days, you you need people to hold on and do you create these so that you have that emotional and mental like pull, like you'll get through this. Yes. We don't know, but we will kind of thing. Right.
2: Yes. Right. And, and that's why Christmas occurs like it does. So there's something to say for just the tradition itself and like the invention of traditions and they kind of hold us together in a certain kind of way. And so if we've always done it. We continue to do it. And there's some societal value in that. Right. Yeah. Um, and then today, what this is, this is, this is what I consider the magic of Christmas. Right. Um, Christmas Day is one of the shortest days of the year, least amount of sunlight. It is the it is the beginning of winter. It is literally the pretense of death, right? Like it is it is winter is coming, and and, and uh, all other things being equal, we didn't have the technology. A lot of people would die. It would be it would be awful. It we, but instead, we consider that day the happiest season of all, right? It's tricked us yeah. into thinking that what should be. The worst day of the year, the shortest day of the year, the cold, one of the coldest days of the year, the you know the day before everyone's about to die or whatever, like it tricks us into oh no this is the best this is the best right this is this is this is the most awesome time of year right and so it has that societal value in kind of tricking us into thinking what should be worse is actually best right uh, and then so we you know what is best is great but also what is worse we think that's the best too and it kind of keeps us going right but in the ancient times it had this other element of. Like, so we do the traditions because they're traditions and we like them and we make it think it's the best. It had this extra element of, and if we don't do this, spring won't come back and then we all die. Right? We've got to do this.
0: I think it's human uh, nature, right? I think that we still do that today. We become, uh, and and to your point, this is historic. I mean, this is ancient times. It was still the same. It's funny how as much as we think we know more, do more, we continue to do the same things that we, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, to your point, like we definitely still think it's the joyous day of the year, even though like you said it's the shortest coldest day of the year um it's yeah. just funny how we how i and some of it i would just you know it, I, it it's that emotion over like it, it's because you want to feel better mm-hmm. but yep. it may not be it's i guess uh, what i'm trying to say is it's uh not logical it's lo- it's it's where the emotion comes yes. and plays a card over logic
2: Yes. And this is actually, so I'm going to get back to Krampus here in just a second. But since you mentioned that, let me let me say this. This is part of what motivates the book. Okay. Let me give you an analogy and then and then I'll, I'll, talk, I'll talk about the book. So in the book, I talk about this tradition that we had for a long time of lighting candles in Christmas trees, right? So we used to do this to light <laughs> our Christmas trees. We would have these, we would it's have just called fire. Light candles in <laughs> Christmas trees, right? And they, that obviously you have a dead tree in your house, the candles would catch them on fire, right? Now, in Germany, where this tradition started, that wasn't a big problem because their house were made of stone and they cooked inside anyway. So if, if the Christmas tree caught fire, big deal, throw it out, your house smells like smoke in it for a while, it already does, you cook inside, not a big deal, right? Yeah. But you transplant that tradition to America, where everyone's house is made of wood and houses are burning down all over the place. Right. (laughs) But do we stop? Do we stop putting candles in our Christmas trees? No. The, again, idiot Americans kept putting candles in their Christmas trees. They kept catching on fire houses continually burned down. Right. And we kept doing that tradition simply for tradition's sake, even though it not only didn't make sense, it was literally killing us. We kept doing it.
1: Do you think right?
2: maybe
0: now I'm gonna jump on jump go out on a limb here? Do you think maybe <laughs> the the desire to put fire in your tree, could that have been the birth of electricity? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not, going out on a limb.
2: <laughs> not not the birth of electricity, but what, what what eventually gets us out of this habit of lighting candles in our trees is the invention yeah. of electric electric lights for for trees. And so people start doing that instead, right? Which can still yes, catch fire. Well,
0: I'm just trying I was trying to make it bigger, you know.
2: <laughs> I, didn't right, make but it not, I don't think it's quite that big. <laughs> it doesn't quite make it that big, right? But part of the point here is that traditions can be good, but they can also be harmful, right? Sure. And realizing where they come from can help us kind of break free like once we realize that, oh, I do this tradition, it's a little harmful, but hey, it's been done for a thousand years. I have to keep doing it. Once you realize, nope, that tradition's only 50 years old. You don't have to keep doing it. You can go, oh, well, I guess I can stop doing that then, right? Like you don't feel that pressure, right? And so the the whole book is predicated on the idea that Christmas is wonderful. It is. And I love Christmas and I you know hold Christmas parties and I put up Christmas lights and we do da, 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 da there are lots of elements of it that are harmful and that we need to get rid of and that we need to change. But we feel like we can't because it's all ancient tradition. And part of the purpose of the book is to teach us, Now that's not actually an ancient tradition. It's something that was invented to take money out of your pocket. If you want to get rid of it, you can, and you're not doing anything that's wrong, untraditional, or whatever. That's just something somebody else made up. You can can do without that, right? So that's kind of like the, the whole book is kind of predicated on that idea, right? So, Speaking of which, one of the things I think that we should give up ideas, the idea that we should lie to our kids about Santa Claus, part of doing that is realizing where the tradition comes from. So to go back to Krampus, Phyllis Schieffer talks about this old ancient tradition to bring the spring back that involved what she calls the wild man. The wild man was this belief, this this entity, when people believe that this entity lived in the forest, he was a half man, half goat, essentially, that made him tied to nature, him and nature were kind of one in a certain kind of way. And so when the days started getting shorter, they would perform this ceremony where they would go out and capture the wild man and bring him to the middle of town. They would chain him up in, in chains and bring him to the middle of town. Now, of course, what's actually going on is, is the priest or somebody in town is dressing up as the wild man and they're putting on a play, but that's what's going on. They, they, they do this tradition of having someone dress up. They pull the wild man into the middle of the town and then... They uh, basically, this is all. He's a fertility god because he's he's you know tied to the uh, to the earth. He copulates with a young woman in the middle of the town square.
1: Well, hello, and
2: then and then they kill. Very him.
1: different Christmas tradition. Very
2: There's different. Well, a very different.
1: Christmas. <laughs> I don't think
0: I'm going to adapt that one. I don't think I'm going to bring that one.
2: <laughs> Probably don't want to bring that one back. But you will be surprised as I continue here, I think, about how much sex is involved in Christmas traditions. It has only recently kind of been domesticated where that is not the case, uh, except for, like, you know, office parties and stuff like that. (laughs) Um, but, um, But sex was actually a large part of Christmas traditions for a very long time. And a lot of that dates back to this tradition. So that's
1: where all the summer babies come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: they they have they have the the wild man copulates with the woman in the town square sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively, and then the wild man is killed sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively. If it's figuratively, they have a doctor come and revive the wild man from his uh you know from his slumber, and it wouldn't be like, I'm doing shock paddles, right? But it wouldn't <laughs> actually be that. They would do some kind of voodoo or whatever, bring him back. And then, you know, the person playing the wild man would be revived and run back out into the forest. And since he was dying, but is now revived, the earth will revive with him and that will bring back the spring. If they literally killed him, which sometimes they did, it would be the offspring in the young woman that would be his revival. And that's what's supposed to bring back the spring. Wow. But that was this this tradition that they did. All right. Worshiping the wild man, uh, uh, revering him, doing these kind of traditions continues on through the years all the way up until after Christianity is founded. So when Christianity is coming through Germany trying to Christianize those damn pagans, they find this wild man tradition. All right? And again, I could I give all the details for the argument about, you know, the, the historical evidence for why this seems to be the case, um, but essentially what happened during that time is two things happened to try to Christianize these German peoples With their wild man tradition and that kind of stuff. Once some people, part of the church at one point, essentially declared the wild man to be Satan. You shouldn't worship that thing. It's Satan. And so that's why Satan is now depicted as today as having goat furs and horns and hooves.
0: That's so interesting.
2: Because he's based on... The wild man. Before this, Satan was just like a fallen angel. He'd be like a spark of lightning or he'd look like a different angel or whatever. It's at this point that he gets, including the pitchfork, which is a phallic symbol, which the wild man would often have some kind of phallic symbol with him because he's a fertility god. It's so crazy. right? So that's why Satan looks like like he does today is because he's based on the wild man. Do you
0: think that's why it's an anagram? Santa and Satan. Um, No, it's
2: not, actually. (laughs) That is a weird coincidence that Satan and and Santa are an anagram. Um, That is a coincidence, but it is is kind of symbolic in a certain kind of way. Um, Because we can talk about where the Santa name comes from, and it doesn't come from Satan. Um, So the other half of it is what they seem to do. Okay, so what... um, Christians did as they Christianized the pagan peoples so so often, and you can see this in edicts from the church and that kind of stuff. Is is they employed what I, what I call a a, 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 a like um, an adopt what, what's the what's the phrase I, I use adapt and adopt method, okay? And so you're not going to you're not going to take their religion completely away from them and just stick in Christianity. No, that's not going to work. It's not going to stick, right? <laughs> So you're going to assimilate them with this, with adapt and adopt method. What you will do is you will just, the gods they already worshiped. Oh no, that's the God Mars. That's not Mars. That's St. Martin.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. Or this God, that's St. Christopher. That, they, they make saints out of pagan gods. And that's why there are so many stinking Catholic saints. And the the Bal- the ballinists who were a sect of Jesuits actually went through the list of all saints and got rid of a whole bunch of them because they realized that a whole bunch of them weren't historical because they were just sainted pagan gods. All right. And so my contention is that is what St. Nicholas is. St. Nicholas was never actually an historical saint. And again, I lay out all the all the argument for this in the book. Um, he is like so many other Catholic saints. He's just a sainted version of a pagan god. And in this case, the pagan god is the wild man. And in fact... That's so crazy. And in fact, the wild man often went by a whole bunch of different names. Uh, if he was a little bit rougher, he'd be the Rue Klaus... Um, or uh, the, which was like the rough clause. Um But Klaus was the kind of common element of his name. So you would describe him in different ways, but he was often went by some version of Klaus. All right. Um, now, in America, if your name is Nicholas, your nickname is? Nick. Nick. Very good. Right. <laughs> but in Germany, in Germany, if your name is Niklaus, your nickname is not Nick. Klaus. Klaus. Oh.
0: <laughs> I wish our listeners could see. I wish our listeners could see Gina's face right now. <laughs> She's so upset. She's like, Keep Kyle's going. ruining it, but I'm loving it, but I'm hating him, but Good. I love it. No.
2: <laughs> I haven't even spoken. I'm just staring at him. That should, do, that should do all of that to you, right? So when you saint the wild man, when you saint the Klaus, what he becomes is saint the yeah. And it is, is evident wow. in the fact that as soon as St. Nicholas starts visiting people's homes, he never does that alone. When he first appears on the scene, he's already got the wild man in tow. And so the other way of deposing the wild man was essentially sainting him and then also simultaneously turning him into a saint sidekick, like his evil sidekick. Right? Oh, that's kind of um, like
0: me to Gina.
2: There you go. <laughs> evil sidekick, Right. <laughs> And so historically, what happens? So you have the wild man. The wild man becomes sainted. He becomes this, and and the sidekick of of, um, of of Saint Nicholas. That tradition. I'm getting a little bit oversimplistic here, but that tradition merges into bells nickel. And then the bells nickel tradition very likely influences how Clement Clark Moore uh, paints him in the poem, right? Harper uh, in Harper's Weekly, um, Thomas Nast turns him into a full grown rotund person. Coca Cola makes him wear red and white, and that's where Santa Claus comes from. That's the birth of Santa Claus. Right. And Santa is, is, Santa is just like uh, basically um, when you, you get St. Nicholas, right? It's, it's that St. Nicholas that, that, that comes out of the Santa yeah. Claus, Santa Claus that, that comes out of that. Um, but the Santa part of it is really just the saint part of it. It has nothing to yep. do with Satan. The word Satan referring to the devil, they would not have referred to um, the devil with Satan at all. Yeah. They would have called him the devil. or Or old Nick. That's another word for Satan yeah. is old Nick, right? And uh, So that has nothing to do with Santa, right? But it, old, you know, all the old St. Nicholas, right? That That is definitely where it comes from.
0: All right, Gina, it's time for your trip. I mean, your trick. <laughs> so take us you know, on a trip. I'm going to take a trip. I'm going to
1: actually take a trip into my childhood and start to cry. Okay, time for the tips and tricks, folks. So we're ready for a holiday trek, if you will. It's one of my absolute favorites. It is the chocolate and chai mix it's so um amazing right so chai meaning tea right well i love uh that flavor it's actually taken on its own um persona now uh chai people say oh it's you know chai flavored meaning what they're saying is it's got more spice in it with your black tea but you can find it in your grocery store and everywhere else like it's flavored with vanilla uh, different flavors, whatever whatever floats your boat when it comes to tea is what you need to use the base for this drink. So what you're going to do is you're going to steep your favorite tea and I'm using a vanilla um, chai right now, which you can it, I know you can't smell it, but it smells so delicious right now. I smell like all the clove and all of the um, different flavors and the um, cinnamon that's in uh, chai. So anyway, so it's, um, you take six ounces of hot water and you're going to steep your water and you're going to take it and you're going to pour it into um, a pan because if you're going to make this for more than one person if you're going to do this for yourself you can do it in a cup but i'm going to show you so we have our hot tea in there and then you're going to take um two heaping teaspoons of sugar now if you are not a sugar fan and you want like you know stevia you know keep it non-sweet it's up to you it's not a problem you know put your substitutions in there the only thing i, I don't recommend is not putting anything right don't put a little something you're going to use um cocoa powder And cocoa powder without anything in it is very, very, very bitter. So unless you want to make a bitter tincture, which, you know, has its place, uh, you're probably going to want to mix this all together. So right now you have your sugar, your tea, your cocoa, and everything's in there. And you have this really nice, um, you know, hot chocolate chai base. And then I'm going to add a little bit more masala in there because I just really love that flavor. I'm gonna put that in. Now you can use milk, almond milk, coconut milk. Um, I'm just using water just because like, I don't know, I have this thing. Like if I'm gonna use, you know, milk or something with my booze, it better be a milk punch. Other than that, I really go for, you know, just keeping it like um, light and sippable so you can have more than one. Anyway, so you're gonna put this in there, you have your base ready, and then we make the cocktail. See you on the other
0: side. And after all of this Critical thinking. I'm definitely adding some some bourbon, maybe some rum, maybe some rum and bourbon
1: <laughs> yeah. in it. Damn it, <laughs> maybe some schnapps. I didn't know how much Germany affected Christmas. There we go. Right,
2: yeah, there we go. Yeah, it, it definitely influences it quite a bit. Um, and uh, you might you might not even need even more if I tell you where the, the holiday itself comes from. <laughs> we're, well, gonna,
0: gonna, we're gonna we're gonna get gonna, to that. We're gonna get to that. But
1: uh, right now, Janet, tell me. Where are they going to go to get this this tip and trick? So to get the tips, tricks, and your entire childhood fantasy of Santa Claus loss, <laughs> you're going to go to DesignatedTrinker.show. Um, you're going to go to DesignatedTrinker.show for all the how-tos, how to get to Kyle, and um, also where you can pick up extra tissues as you're putting away your Christmas decorations forever. <laughs> 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 not at
0: all. Not at all. It's. All, I mean, I think it's really interesting to learn this, the 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 history behind these things. And to your point, Kyle, well, there are other things we can do. And you're right. It is based on capitalism. Even though uh, we, we I am a sucker for it all.
2: Yeah, I think I think it makes you like it more. And it makes you able to own it more so you can enjoy your celebration more because you're not confined to the way other people think you should celebrate it. You celebrate it the way that sure. works for you. And that makes you more glad to celebrate it.
0: Right? Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. Um, that's why I'm so happy that you're, you came on the show. Um, but this does bring us to the end of part one with Professor David Kyle Johnson. Um, He is the author, again, just so you remember, he's the author of The Myths That Stole Christmas. Um, But again, if you're anything like me or Gina, one round is never enough and you can never get enough Christmas treats. Um, So top off your eggnog or whatever you have in that glass and get ready for part two of this episode as we continue our boozy banter. And Gina's gonna share a delicious holiday-worthy cocktail recipe that is uh, nothing but truce. So, ho, ho, ho. (laughs) The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Links League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.